Hi, welcome to the Prison Project podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Raskin. This is a podcast about criminal and social justice issues from prison reform to ethics and everything in between. Available on WDIY 88.1 FM and on WDIY.org. Welcome to episode four. Today on the show, we have Rory Driscoll as our guest speaker. Rory, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Rory is a public defender at Northampton County, a partner at Driscoll Howell LLC, and an adjunct professor at Lehigh University. As a public defender, Rory is now the lead attorney for the Northampton County Mental Health Court program. Rory, for the listeners, could you explain what is mental health court and how does a day typically work? Sure. So mental health court is a diversionary program that was created in Northampton County um, via the district attorney's office, as well as um, a judge, specifically Judge Daly, who's the head judge of mental health court. Um, And it was the idea that got it started is the treatment court trend in really nationwide has become a a, a major trend. And what it is, it's, it's the focus on rather than taking somebody who commits a crime and throwing them into prison and incarcerating them. We look for other avenues of rehabilitation and we do it through diversionary courts. Um, One of the popular ones that kind of started the trend was drug court. Um, You know, it's something where if somebody has a drug addiction or a drug problem and because of that drug addiction, they commit a crime rather than lock them away in a prison. We try to focus on getting them treatment and we do that through a drug court alternative where, you know, there's certain criteria that they have to meet to get into the program Mm -hmm. and there's certain um things that you know they have to do while they're in the program in order to stay in the program and successfully complete it mm-hmm. so that they get the result of possibly the charges being disposed of or facing a lengthy a more lengthy prison sentence yeah. um, and that's where we got the idea for mental health court in Northampton County and so that, that's how it got started nice so the day-to-day what do you normally see so with mental health court we are a diversionary court and we have a post-track court so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll kind of explain to you the diversionary yeah. aspect first that would be if somebody went out and committed a crime and let's say I get the case and I could identify either from them or a family member or sometimes I get told by you know a police officer will say hey I had to arrest this person but I think there's mental health issues um, you know I, I'd like to see them get help um, so we identify that coming in right away mm-hmm. so we have to see whether there's evaluations that are needed things of that nature and then we got to try to figure out whether or not they would make a good candidate for the for the program there should be a nexus between the crime they commit and Mm -hmm. you know their mental health but that's not always the case Mm -hmm. Um, if they have underlying mental health issues we might think we might still consider them a good candidate Um, what we then do is we do an application we get a doctor certification form that says that they're at least competent to enough to proceed with their case Mm -hmm. um, because there's a whole other Um, track for incompetent people and I'll explain that to you later on but if they're competent and they have these underlying mental health issues we then submit the application to the district attorney's office. Mm -hmm. The district attorney is the first screening process so in Northampton County the DA's office decides whether or not they're going to let them in. There is some criteria on you know whether or not they're going to let certain violent crimes in or sex offenses in Mm -hmm. but um, there is some leeway and bending that's done there if you know based Based off the facts of the case. They look at each case individually. Once it is then approved by the district attorney's office, it then goes to a treatment team. And the treatment team is made up of individuals from Northampton County's mental health um, mental health here in the the county. Um, It's 
probation officers, it's yeah. pretrial officers, it's Judge Daly, it's mm -hmm. myself, and some other members um, from the Northampton County um, community. And what we do is we come together and we discuss them. We, we decide whether or not we think we could put a treatment uh, in place for them, whether or not we think they would be successful in the program. And we kind of take a consensus on whether they would be admitted. And if we all agree the person could, should be admitted, um, they'll come in. Ultimately, Judge Daly gets yeah. the final say. <laughs> um, but it, it, he definitely is great about listening to everybody's mm -hmm. concerns. And what does that treatment look like when you decide to go forward with it? So it's individually based. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody has a certain criteria they have to follow. Mm -hmm. Part of being in mental health court, you have to come to court every, it's a, it's a three phase process. In the first phase, you have to come to court every other Thursday and you have to check in with Judge Daly. You gotta let Judge Daly know how you're doing, mm -hmm. that you're staying on top of your treatment, uh, you're staying on top of your other rec uh, requirements, mm -hmm. such as checking in with your probation officer. They're also giving somebody in the community um, her name is Talia. She, she's wonderful. She goes out and she sees these people weekly yeah. to make sure they're doing what they should be doing. And that's part of the requirements. And then as you phase through the program, you have you you still got to do everything, you know, yeah. in terms of keeping your mental health on track, but right. you don't have to come to court as much. Okay. As for individually, we kind of the, the treatment team and we kind of default to the professionals. Mm -hmm. um, they have to follow the treatment that's individualized to them. Right. Do you think it really reaches people? Absolutely. One thing I love about it as a, from the defense attorney standpoint is if my client comes in pre-trial mm -hmm. diversionary, which means they were charged and rather than plead guilty or not guilty or and go to trial, they come in the program and if they complete it, they actually get their case and charges dis disposed of, um, withdrawn. So the case gets dismissed and now they can keep their record clean. There's also a post-track and that's for somebody who was on probation and maybe committed a probation violation, like maybe picked up new charges or if they didn't pick up new charges, they didn't go um, and meet with the probation officer like they were supposed to. A lot of people with mental health issues have underlying drug issues, maybe they were using in the community. And rather than throw them in jail for a probation violation, we let them come in and complete the program and they avoid ever having to go to prison. So from a defense attorney standpoint, one I love it for the pretrial aspect because my clients are going to keep their record clean. And the second part I like about it is, you know, uh, for the post trial, it, it keeps people out of prison when they really should be getting help. You know, mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, it's to help these people get on track, you know, give them the tools they need so that when they're they're done with mental health court, they can continue with their treatment and continue to be, you know, active members in the community that aren't going to risk getting in more criminal trouble. Um, and mental health court's open to any criminal defense attorney that believes that their client is has a mental health issue mm -hmm. and can apply them to the program. That's amazing. And I think definitely someone who needs treatment but is being put in prison and treated like a prisoner is just going to worsen with time, of course. Like, yeah, and it really isn't rehabilitation. We see that a lot. Um, we see um, prisoners, you know, with mental health issues de uh, decompose. Um, and again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't pretend to be. But I, I, I do a lot of this now, where I'm treated, where I'm, cl my clients have mental health issues, and I see it from start to finish, from when they come in, mm -hmm. and if they're sitting there too long, how 
much worse their mental health goes if it's not being treated, if they're not taking the correct medication. And that that's definitely an issue. But and that opens up to a broader thing that I, I, I could talk about if you want want me to, which is there is the difference but with our mental health court. Our mental health court is for somebody that is competent. And what I mean by that is they, they typically can identify that they have a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. They typically want to get treatment. They typically want help. That's usually not always the case for somebody with mental health. And as a matter of fact, it's it's probably the opposite. A lot of the times these people don't identify that they have a mental health. If you have somebody that is, you know, not high functioning and is schizophrenic and is really sick and has really bad uh, bipolar with schizodefective disorder, these people don't think they're sick. These people don't think they have a problem. And the problem with our mental health court, and it's not a problem because our mental health court's great, but it's not for those type of people. So what happens to those type of clients? Your client that is probably too sick to even be considered competent to stand trial, which means that they can't understand the basic procedures of criminal trial, or they can't assist me with their legal defense. These people, they're under the Mental Health Procedures Act in Pennsylvania, their case gets stayed. So it gets put on hold. Mm. And if they're charged with a felony, let's say it's a 10 year maximum on what they're charged with, they could be stayed for their entire 10 years and just sit and waste away in prison. And and it's really scary. Now there's things put in place for them to go get rehabilitated or be get their mental health to the point where they are found to be competent so that they can then proceed with their case. But the problem is that can't happen unless they're sent somewhere to get their mental health problems treated. In Pennsylvania, unless you have private insurance and a family that's willing to take you and care for you and bail you out of jail, your only option is to sit and wait for a bed to open at the only two state hospitals we have right now, which is Norristown and Warnersville. And the bed wait is sometimes up to six months to a year, which is ridiculous. And you have, and so we're not the only prison that has this issue. These people sit and they decompose, they get worse, and then we send them off in six months and they've been doing a crime. Sometimes it's not even that serious of a crime and they're decompensating. I'm lucky because I'm in a county where judges will try to help those type of defendants when the charge isn't that serious. Mm -hmm. But what do you do with somebody that has an arson charge or a felony aggravated assault? It's not that easy to just dispose of these people's charges when they have that type of, you know, serious crime hanging over their head. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's really there's a lot of studies that show that even just a couple hours alone in a jail cell can lead to levels of psychosis that are off the charts and last for years. Uh, we've, we, we see it often um, and a lot of these times these people are put in a, in a, in a cell where they're alone mm-hmm. so now you know they're in segregation which is terrible. That's terrible for somebody without mental health of issues. Course. Now you put somebody that has paranoid um, thoughts or voice, they're hearing voices. I mean, these people are going to get a lot worse. They're so paranoid. They won't take medication. Mm. They can't force medication out of prison. So, you know, these people start to do things. I mean, we've seen some things as serious, as disgusting as it sounds, as people smearing their own feces on prison walls. I mean, it's 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 sad stuff. Um, 
there is an avenue to get these people out of the prison faster if you don't want to wait for Norristown or, or, or Warnersville. And you can try to get them what's called 302'd or 301'd. And that's where, you know, it's, it's determined that they are a danger to themselves or others or can't care for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're taken to a hospital and the hospital tries to regulate them and get mm-hmm. them better. And it's actually, it's it's an involuntary confinement in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So they actually have a hearing and everything to determine their, you know, constitutional rights because no one deserves to be, you know, confined without their, without their willingness. Um, but what happens is as soon as they're okay, they just get sent right back to prison. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a roller coaster. I mean, the mental health world in North, in Pennsylvania, and I think in the entire United States, it's, it's a, mess. Mm-hmm. it's a mess. And the recidivism with a case like that, when someone is not voluntarily taking their medicine, they're doing things like hearing voices and putting feces on the wall. They're going to come back out of the prison as an unraveled human being and just be so much worse. And we see it. We, I have, we have people, you know, they're almost like frequent flyers and I yeah. hate to put it like that, but you, you know, they're going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a lot of people who are homeless, who, you know, commit retail thefts or don't have family. And sadly, a lot of these people with, you know, schizophrenia, um, they do become homeless or they do become addicted to drugs and the family wants nothing to do with them anymore. Mm-hmm. So they do end up having police contact and committing more crimes and the law, law enforcement, their hand is kind of tied because what are they supposed to do if this person could be a potential danger to the community what have some of your unusual cases been like i know you've seen quite a few there's 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 always a lot because i also i'm not just a mental health court you know criminal defender i do a lot of other defense so you know it it depends it's you know you get you get your homicides you get your you know your aggravated assaults your burglaries your robberies um the mental health stuff always tends to be a little bit more out there Mm -hmm. um but it's 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 almost sad frankly um and off the top of my head i mean you know you get people who go into churches and we we had one young lady who went into a church and claimed she was going to try to burn it down and was throwing a bible and said the voices were telling her to do that and um you know it's certain certain instances like that we were able to get her some help um and she's now back in the community but you see a lot of a lot of things that you you that, that make your head spin. And, right. and it's because these people are driven by their mental health issues. It's, it, yeah, I guess un, unusual is not even the word to use it. It's, they're sad cases and it's, I, I mean, it's great that she's back in the community now, but it's hard to say how, like how much better she really is. And, and I mean, she's one of those instances where she doesn't have family. Yeah. Um, I've represented her a few times. Yeah. Um, and I tend, and it's sad to say this, but she'll probably be back, you know, mm-hmm. and the best I could do is get her the treatment that we can get her that the county has to be able to fund her. But, you know, they only get so much funding, too. So it's, it's a problem and it's a problem nationwide. When you look at your corner of the nation and your dealing with mental health and incarceration and you've had many years of experience what do you think so one of the give me too much credit <laughs> <laughs> years and years of experience how have what do you see the future really becoming with 
incarceration and dealing with mental health? I think in general terms, we're trying to be better at not incarcerating at a massive, uh, you know, this idea of mass incarceration or warehousing. Mm -hmm. That's why we have these treatment courts. I think judges are really receptive to using them. I When I first started as an attorney, which wasn't that long ago, it was only, what, seven years ago? Four years were, ago. There were, super old. <laughs> there, were, there were no treatment courts. Right. Now there are. So I think there's this trend to try treatment courts in Pittsburgh, where I went to law school out there, um, they had, um, you know, a veterans court for vets, mm -hmm. which is awesome that we, we, we uh, you know, support our vets and give them an avenue to go through a, a, a diversionary court. Mm -hmm. You know, like I talked about before, we have a drug court now in Northampton County. And what that does do, it, it, it lessens people going to prison. Right. It, it keeps them in the, in the community. It gets them into places like inpatient rehabs or residential treatment facilities. Mm -hmm. Um, depending on you know what their what their their background is, and again that takes the numbers out of the incarceration. So I think the more we embrace diversionary courts, the more you're going to see incarceration go down. Right. Will we be able to fix the problem completely? I don't know. It's yet to be seen. But mm -hmm. the more counties decide to embrace these diversionary courts, it's going to help. You know mass incarceration go down. Right, because no case is the same and to treat every case the exact same is just, you're not going to, you're just going to end up giving the same solution to so many different problems, which doesn't work. And, and you know, this might sound very defense attorney, of me, but, <laughs> you know, part of a sentence that is given out if you commit a crime and you're convicted or you plead guilty is the idea of rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. Rehabilitation does not have to mean incarceration. Right. There's this backwards thinking because people watch too much TV is he committed the crime, he goes to prison. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's not really what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be he committed the crime. Now let's rehabilitate him so he could be a, a or she could be an active member in the community when they are released from prison. Right. Um, and, and that's what, you know, as a defense attorney, you got to focus on because a lot of the times you're dealing with a client who is going to end up pleading guilty mm -hmm. um, because you work out a deal for them and it isn't a case where you're going to take to trial. So you got to think, what's the best sentence I could get for them to address their issues? Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't always have to be incarceration. There are some crimes that incarceration is definitely warranted. And I would probably... I'd probably not sound credible, even as a defense attorney, to say otherwise. We wouldn't work as a society if we didn't punish some crimes more severely. Of course. But this idea of putting somebody in for marijuana, it's to me, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll get some people that won't agree with me on that. But when we're incarcerating people for small amount of marijuana or marijuana in general, it's, you know, and that even is changing. What, was, what is the marijuana charge in Pennsylvania now? You're so we have um, marijuana is still illegal. Um, mm -hmm. It's you know, it's moving to Nape. Mm -hmm. um, but right now you could get a medical marijuana card, but if you don't have a medical marijuana card, they are trying to decriminalize it, but it hasn't been across the board decriminalized. Mm -hmm. You know, it depends on the amount you have. So, you know, a small amount of marijuana, frankly, it's only a 30-day sentence, and you're probably never going to get incarceration, and you're probably going to get just a fine. But if you have more than what they considered a small amount for personal use, you can subject yourself to... Um, you know, incarceration time, especially if you have a prior record. Mm. It just to, to clarify, in Northampton <laughs> County, the judges are really good about not, you know, being overly zealous on on on, on marijuana sentences. I mean, they still see it as a as a nuisance and an issue, and it's a crime, so mm. they they gotta punish accordingly. But I think our judges are fair. Yeah. Uh, so moving fine. forward, we probably will see 
more legalization in Pennsylvania. Yes, and it's moving that way now. So I guess one of the misconceptions about being a public defender would the would be the ideology of, oh, he committed a crime, go to jail. What are some of the other, what are the misconceptions you face being a public defender? I think uh, you face that more with clients. You know, right. clients believe that because you're a public defender, they're getting a free attorney, so you're not going to try as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a private practice as well, you'll put more effort into your private practice rather than a PD. Um, you know, and there are some attorneys that do that. I mean, that's just the that's just the the truth. But there are also really really good public defenders, um, people that really are going to fight for you, really work hard. So there is this misconception because I got a public defender. You know, he's not a paid attorney per Mm -hmm. se, so they're not going to work as hard for me. Um, That's a terrible misconception. Of course. There are people that are bad at their job no matter what. No matter what it is. Exactly. So. There's a lot of bad private attorneys that right. people are paying of course. for. Yeah. In which they would have been a lot better off with a public defender. So Like that, Rory. <laughs> uh, that's definitely something, you know, that it's we hear it all the time as public mm-hmm. defenders. Uh, lastly, before we wrap up, I was wondering, how did you become a public defender? I knew I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. I just, I knew I wanted to be in a courtroom. I knew I wanted to be helping people. I felt like those two things together, you know, that criminal defense is the best for that. Um, And I interned for a judge, Judge Giordano, who has actually uh, stepped down recently to pursue uh, private practice. He was fantastic. He, um, He let me intern for him. I told him what I wanted to do. And he helped me secure an internship with the public defender's office at the time. The woman that ran uh, the public defender's office, her name was Helen Goldfeder. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She's the one that you know brought me on as an intern, then helped me get my job. She was a big catalyst in my career. So hats off to her. And from there, I've, I've been a public defender. I, I'd like to keep being a public defender. Um, we're in a county that allows you to have a practice as well. Mm-hmm. So there would be no reason for me to want to leave as long as I can balance both. Yeah. I definitely think when you want to help people and are great at working with people, especially in a courtroom setting, it's definitely the way to go. It definitely is. And I mean, at the end of the day, not focusing on your heinous crimes. Most people that commit crimes, it's either because of a momentary lapse of judgment or some underlying issue like a drug or a mental Mm -hmm. health issue. And these people need help. They need somebody that's going to be their voice. They need somebody that's going to focus on getting them rehabilitation, you know, and and that happens in the courtroom. And it it happens as soon as you get the file and pick up the case. You got to start thinking what made them do what they did. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's a big part of what we do. So absolutely. I think you're Right. right. And everyone needs a voice. You're, you're right. Even the voiceless, you need, they need someone to defend their rights in the Constitution. So it's really amazing what you do. All right. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. All right. That's just about a wrap. Thank you so much for coming today, Rory. We really appreciate having you. And that's episode four.